Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Skeptic Hangout, the place where we sit back, relax, and chit-chat about intriguing and sometimes controversial topics through the lens of skepticism. With us today is our very own Richard Gilliver from Skeptic Takeout, Laura McGee from Unapologetically Me, and good old Richard Gill from the Yorkshire Atheist. Today, we are going to be talking about something that is very near and dear to all of our hearts, but it's also something that you might not think about looking at from a skeptical perspective, parenting. So grab your English tea or your Irish breakfast tea with just a splash of milk and join us as we skepticize how we raise little people into big people. Skepticize a word. This is episode 27, parenting. And no, I made it up on the spot. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) And when I said splash of milk, I actually meant quite a bit, like a, a fourth of a cup. But and and details. A, a, li- a little people important specifically because you mentioned Irish tea. <laughs> oh, this is going to be a fun episode. last week i'm gutted i had technical issues virgin media oh yeah no i'm really bummed to have missed you that was a really good episode um but man did puck rip like he just raised the bar so now you've got some shoes to fill um our expectations of you before that were like you know and now our expectations are like so i keep keep this this is the first time in a few weeks that we've got the the band back together yeah haven't i so so this is what happens when we have three people with with uh, families and schedules and work and, and normal day to day life stuff who are completely separated geographically. Well, sort of like you guys went by like a block or two. Um, what happens? Yeah. Like our schedules don't always meet up and it's been um, a crazy few weeks. huh? Yeah. yeah. So the band is back together. and This is our debut episode. Um, it's all back together. So parenting. There's a lot of different ways that we could take this. But the first thing I thought of when I saw that on the list as our next topic was um, the different ways that people think that you should parent, like parenting should look like this, or it should be that. Um, So I guess I thought of looking at parenting from a skeptical perspective in terms of how one should or should not parent their kids. Um, What are your guys' thoughts on parenting from a skeptical perspective? I don't know that there is a should or should not way to parent your kid. I think there are better and worse ways. Right. I, I don't think this is should or should not. I, I remember I was at a, a friend of mine's, uh, I think it was his 40th birthday a few years ago, and um, his sister came who I'd never met, and, you know, we are just chatting away. And there were very kind of... Uh, Whole Foods, like all organic kind of family all together, okay. brother, sister, mom, and dad. Yeah. And he he has no children. His sister has two. And he was talking about you know you know when I have children, I really want to introduce healthy eating and from the get go. And his mm. sister said, "I did that until I realized it didn't work." 
And now when they want fish fingers, I just give them fucking fish fingers because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's, that's how to fare. And, and I'll, I'll never forget that. I don't know why that stuck with me, but... Here's, here's something that I thought uh, quite quickly when I saw that we were doing parenting. Uh, and it's to do with indoctrination, but in sort of a few different ways. So, like, I, I find that I have big issues with religious indoctrination of children because it's a really easy way to... I know we, I'm jumping straight into there at the beginning. Of the episode, <laughs> he like, just took it there right off the bat. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I have big issues with religious doctrine, indoctrination of children because they're easy targets. They take all their information about the world from authority figures and from author, place of authority and religion just sort of is one of those things that they can just blindly accept. But actually, even non-religiously, parenting is kind of about indoctrination, isn't it? You know, like... I indoctrinate my children not to throw rubbish on the floor because that's something I find important. I indoctrinate my children to uh, be kind to other people, even when they're not being kind to them, because that's something that I care about. So like if you're a religious parent, I guess your religious attitudes and beliefs and stuff, just a part of that whole thing, aren't they? Potentially. Yeah, I think, um, sorry, you can keep going. I, I, no, I don't even know where I would have carried on going. I would have just said words. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I think, that is where I give people the most slack. Like we, so as a, a non-insert religion here, like non-Christian, non-Muslim, non-Hindu, it's very easy to say like, well, you shouldn't raise your kid that way. Or why would you want to raise your kid that way? Or it's okay if you believe those lies and that rubbish, but don't teach your kids to believe those things. But if you think that there's a reality, right, that, that is concrete and, and, and um, justifiable, and you think that that reality involves a God, and that that God has rules or expectations for you. Why on earth would you not want to indoctrinate the fuck out of your kids? Right? Yeah. Like if I thought there was actually a hell, oh, my kids would be like Sunday school. Like what, what is that summer thing called? Like um, something Bible camp, vacation Bible school or whatever. Um, oh, they, they'd be like the, the top of the line. Because if you literally believed that they could burn and suffer in hell for an eternity, why wouldn't you want like yeah. them to not have that? Like, why wouldn't you want the best for them. So I kind of give religious parents a lot of slack in the sense that they are literally doing what they think is right for their kids because that's part of their their paradigm, that's part of their reality. However, what religious parents tend to do mm-hmm. is try and hide uh, non-religion or skepticism or things that challenge that religious belief away from the kids. Right. Whereas I wouldn't hide alternative viewpoints away from my kids. I'd wholly introduce them. Yeah. yeah. That was that was one thing about um, my religious experience that I think was different from the, especially the person who was raised religious, was that yeah. I always taught my kids to choose their own way and to come to their own truths and to investigate and ask questions. So I wasn't one of those Christians that was like, now don't challenge the Bible, children. Right. It was always like, well, if you don't believe it, that's fine. Right. Then I think back on it, it's like, well, then how closely did I really believe it? Because again, like, let's pretend that hell is real. Why would you want to offer the kids a narrative that dismisses hell? Right. Like, why would you want the kids to question that if you really, truly in your heart believed that they were going to die and burn in eternity in eternal suffering and torment? Um, why would you want that to be a possibility for your child? So it's, complicated because when when i did it for my kids and i was more like hey if you don't want to be muslim that's what i'm doing right now and that's where i feel led and that's what i believe but you don't have to believe it 
I question how ardently or how truly I may have actually believed it if I didn't really shove it down my kids' throats. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I don't know. And you, you you are an interesting point to raise because I know you, you homeschool your kids, don't you? I do. And I know a few religious people who homeschool the kids, mm-hmm. but I'm guessing the reason you homeschool your kids is entirely different yeah. from the reasons they homeschool the kids because they homeschool the kids so that they're not exposed to the evils of society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I homeschool my kids for several different reasons, one of which is the flexibility to be able to live life the way we want to live life, meaning if we want to go on a vacation in the middle of September when school is starting up and we want to go to Monterey for two months and do school on the ocean, we get to go do school on the ocean, right? If we want to do um, petroglyphs in the middle of the day and actually drive out to the petroglyphs and spend two or three days in the middle of the desert I'm looking at petroglyphs, we can go do that um, because we have that flexibility naturally built into our lifestyles. Um, <laughs> it's me and Richard have the entire opposite because he's a school teacher and my wife's a school teacher. So right. we are strictly bound to school holidays. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And I am so not against the public school. Like, um, like if, if my schedule didn't allow for the, the flexibility that we have, I would have no problem putting my kids in public school. Like a lot of people ask that, Oh, do you just not like public school education? Like, no, it's just fine. I would probably augment it or supplement it with, well, let's ask more questions and let's get curious. Yeah. Um, but a lot of times I don't, I don't struggle with, them learning math, English, history, science from public school. Um, I just think I teach it in a way that is individually conducive to how they learn. Whereas in a school, you're going to get kind of like a one size fits all more um, uh, approach. And it kind of has to be that way. Um, But yeah, like, I I don't know. One thing that struck me about something Richard said earlier, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it it got me on thinking about... uh, indoctrination of kids and stuff because my wife isn't so much now but she she was quite religious uh, as the kids were younger I mean they're only young as my youngest is five so it's not like they're ancient but as 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 they were really young she was kind of religious and they went to church with her and whatnot um they go to a religious school and yet We've not forced any kind of viewpoint or anti-religious stance on them. And yet none of them really believe in God. Yeah. Um, we're really open with them. And we, you know, we're as dog died a few years, a couple of years ago. And, you know, my son who was about five at the time. He, you know, he asked, do the dogs go to heaven? And I said, well, you know, some people believe in heaven. Some people don't. And at this time he was a believer in God and heaven. I said, some people don't. I said, people have different opinions. Yeah. And well, it, it was fine with that. It was, it was, you know, it got him thinking and he was fine about it. Yeah, that's... Uh, you're talking about, uh, I can't, again, I'm going to say literally what Jill said, but about you, Lauren. You said something earlier on, and I can't remember what you said, but it made me think about <laughs> something you'd spoken about previously. And I can't remember whether it was in, in an episode or whether it was outside of an episode, uh, and you may not want to talk about it, so you can cut this out if you don't. But about <laughs> masturbation with your children. Yeah, no, sexual education. I'm very comfortable talking about that. Stuff. Yeah, so yeah. you, I think you'd, I, and I, I can't remember if it was an episode, but you talked about how at one point as a family, you, if I'm right in thinking, you had a sort of anti-masturbation stance, which was then sort of kind of negotiated as a relaxed stance or something along those lines. I can't quite remember. Yeah, so what had happened was um, as... So the boys, my two oldest boys, they hit teenagerhood as we were in the height of our 
religious fervor, right? We were the most ardent when they kind of hit puberty. And so when we found um, YouTube porn on one of their phones, we sat down and talked to them like masturbation is bad and here's why it trains your body in all these different ways. And then you don't, it, it has nothing to do with real sex. And you know, the girls that you're watching on YouTube, you don't know if they're being exploited or not. Blah, blah, blah. So we had this like very, um, Hey, I'm not punishing you for what you did, but it's wrong sort of approach. And so, yeah, as we, and that was just the two oldest boys, the other three were spared that, that sort of conversation. Um, but as we came out of it, we never really corrected that. We didn't think about it. Like that's not really actively on your mind 24 seven. So when it came up again a little bit later, yeah, we sat down with the two older boys and, um, we said, Hey, we took a pretty strong stance on sexuality when we were religious and we want to let you know what our stance is now. And like masturbation is natural, but you do need to understand that that masturbation and sex are different. Right. Um, so we didn't withdraw everything we said, like, sure, there's differences. Um, but it's not bad. It's not evil. If you do it, you're not sinning. Um, there's no shame in it. Um, and, and then in terms of porn, we just said, you know, you're underage and we can't advocate porn because we can't tell you what it's good and good porn and bad porn. So just you're underage, stay away from it. Right. But more as a, but when we presented it, it was like, porn is not bad, but you as a teenager cannot determine what is ethical porn and what is unethical porn. And I, as a parent can't give you a website and say, here, watch this ethical porn. Right. It's not a conversation. So, I want to have <laughs> right. It was actually a pretty comfortable conversation because we, you talk at your own comfort level. You talk about sex where you're comfortable talking about sex. And if it's something you're not comfortable saying, you just don't say it. Right. So for me, it was very, very natural and very easy to say, like, we could just tell you the, the, the most I can tell you about porn right now is when you're an adult, you can explore it, but explore it ethically and just know, know where that content came from, how it was created. Right. That um, conversation is going to be very easy for me because one of the things my wife teaches is sex education. Perfect. So I'm just going yeah. to pass the burden. Yeah, you're like, my conversation with you about sex is go talk to mom. No children. Yeah. I brought along my ring binder from school. Page one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, we don't have to stay on the topic of sexual education all day long. I, I could probably talk on a whole episode. In fact, I'm going to write it on our episode list um, about sexual education um, because it's something that I'm passionate about. Not, I don't want any of the five of my children to go into adulthood with taboos and um, shame and fear. Um, but I also know of a lot of parents that are very, like a lot more liberal than me and a lot more sexually explicit than me at what, for what they expose our kids to. And so I'm probably a little more conservative compared to, you know, the far end of the spectrum. One of the things that I think about a lot in terms of parenting is the fact that actually being a parent is a really, like, there are a lot of responsibilities that come with it, not just in terms of like you know feeding and clothing and you know making sure they don't die but like setting them up as people ready for the world as you know like I think back to things that happen in my childhood I've not had like a traumatic childhood or anything but you know like there'll have been things in my childhood that make me approach situations nowadays in a specific way because of the way that things were handled in the past or whatever Mm -hmm. so like an example that I can think of I've got three lads uh, 10, 5, and that's, 2. In American, that's boys. Boys, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yes, no, caps. Um, <laughs> and they, all the time, so like, this is th- I don't know if this is a thing in America, but you know, like when children start to lose their teeth. Um, no, children don't lose teeth in America. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're born with our adult teeth. 
But like, there's a thing about like it's when you've been kissing people. So like, have you been kissing anyone at school, and that's why your teeth fall out? That's <laughs> is that a thing? Do you know that, Jilliver? I've heard yeah. it. It's not universally practiced in Britain. I, I must okay. stress. I've heard it. It's more of an old timer thing. I think. I think because yeah. you probably come from like a small, like somewhere that's like backwards town. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <That is too laughs> funny. you probably still continue. I'm from a city. We don't know do that. <laughs> but like so when my eldest was like starting to lose his baby teeth like people would say to him oh have you been kissing girls at school and I always say oh boys like I always yeah even put that there you know like someone will be like oh saying to my five-year-old because he's a right flirt with everyone and um, they'll be like oh I bet you've got all the girls chasing around you after school I was like oh boys, boys. and I'm not yeah. and, that's me sort of indoctrinating my children in in terms of like yeah pushing my values in terms of not only is it okay for them to have that as an option but I also like I don't know if any of my children are gay or yeah. will be gay or whatever you're talking about completely like, naturalizing it not just oh yeah. being gay is okay yeah. children but actually yeah. naturalizing it yeah yeah and again for, I know for lots me, of people something... who are just not like that as well like completely not like that yeah, it's it's interesting because like my kids will even do that. So like I'll say boyfriend or girlfriend or like oh like um crushes in terms of being boys or girls, like just like you will. But my kids will even do that. Like if someone says like, Oh, does so and so have a girlfriend? <laughs> my son Caleb will chime in and be like, Or boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because that's how normalized it is in our house. Like, how are you to like who are you to judge? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's something that's something else that we we've kind of escaped because or I've escaped because my best friend's gay. She's got a partner. She, she's getting married to her partner, and my kids just grow up with it. Yeah, they just they, they don't even think anything of it. They just know that people same sex couples happen and know a thing. Yeah, that's it. It's funny because um, my my youngest son reached an age where he started kind of like reflecting on things, and he came to me one day and was like, "Mom, why do people hate gay people?" And that was a really mm-hmm. interesting conversation to have because to him, prior to that, when he was younger the thought never even occurred to him. Like you just don't hate people for any reason that, that arbitrary. Right. Um, and when he finally started kind of seeing it in social media or being exposed to it or hearing the thought of like people being homophobic or whatever, he finally started reflecting on it was like, why is that even a thing? Right. Yeah. And uh, I think, I think parenting wise, I think that's something that all three of us maybe have in common and that I hope is getting to be more and more popular is that idea of, those negative thoughts should never even occur to a child. They only occur when we put those negative thoughts into their head. Well, like we have a lot of power as parents, don't we? Yeah. A lot of power. We can make our children scared of things. You know, like um, I know like fear of spiders is not a natural thing to be afraid of, because if you think about it, logically spiders, uh, uh, at least in the UK, can't hurt you or do any damage to you. They're all like teen, teen time little babies. British things, spiders they, don't bite. <laughs> No, British Australian spiders, spiders bite. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, be afraid of spiders in Australia. That is completely valid. In the UK, it's not a valid fear in terms of like realistically nothing is going to happen. But yeah. you see your your mom or your dad jumping up on the settee because there's a spider on the floor and children right. learn to be afraid of that thing. Like, I think it's really easy to forget how much power and influence we have over the lives of the children that we bring up um, in things that we don't like, because there are conscious decisions we make about parenting, conscious decisions about, I want them to be able to do this, not be able to do that, you know, value this, not value that. 
but there's so much all the time which is just sort of in the background that we don't think about which really really influences our children uh for better or worse no that's true like the way that my children talk is highly influenced by me and like my daughter um like when she was younger um people used to tell me like well your daughter speaks really well for her age or she's very eloquent for a little one and i never even really thought about it i didn't know how she really compared I knew that she had a good, strong vocabulary, um, but I didn't know on average, like how she compared. And I thought about it and said, well, I never did baby speak with my kids. I always spoke to them directly as though they were adults. I used words that they could understand or comprehend. And I would explain things to them, but I wouldn't be like, oh, you want your little Bobby, right? It's like, here's your bottle, right? And, um, and I would use complete sentences. So when they learn how to speak and they start mimicking those complete sentences, like that wasn't even something that I didn't sit down and brainstorm one day and think, okay. Now my kids will speak more eloquently if I just speak to them in complete sentences, right? It was just something that I did. So yeah, it is interesting how they, they will pick up on and mimic things. Um, yeah. Like they're noticing every little thing you do. And there they're... was a study um, quite a few years ago um, about early childhood speech development that was, uh, they made a link between, because traditionally like prams and push chairs that you push children around in always had the child facing the person who was pushing them. Whereas like lots of fold up prams now have the child only able to face away from the person who's pushing them. And there, there was a link between um, sort of poorer abilities in terms of speaking and listening for children starting school. They found a link between that and when those sorts of push ta- chairs were popularized because the parent or whoever's pushing them isn't doesn't have eye contact with them and talking to them all the time. They're there facing away and don't have that same sort of level of interaction. And they could like really easily see the correlation between those things. So, that's and that's like a really simple thing that's like if you've got your child facing you, they are going to be able to speak better when they're at school. That I never would have even thought about that, but that is, I can see the correlation there because, mm-hmm. um, we tend to forget about kids in strollers when we're pushing them, right? Like we're just pushing an object. And I mean, obviously for their safety and stuff and whether or not they're hot or thirsty, like we might be aware of them, but. No, you're pushing your shoulder. Laura you're just described your... her children as being objects. I'm just putting that that's, out there. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we tend to objectify them. Yes, yes, I did say that. Um, yeah, because like, well, I just remember back to when my kids were, were um, stroller age, whatever you called it. I call it a stroller. I don't know. But um, pram. Pram? Pram. P-R-A-M. Pram. Okay. It's short for perambulator, but no one says perambulator. It's a pram. Okay, I'm going to call it a stroller because I'm comfortable. Do some Googling. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so... When I would push the stroller around, if I didn't have anyone with me, I, I typically tended to just be quiet and I might like kind of interact with them a little bit like, oh, look at that puppy over there. Right. Um, but interaction would be less than when they were in the front facing, like where you're constantly talking to them and constantly interacting with them and stuff. So it's, it's interesting that just turning them around the other way shuts off sort of a um, like a connection that you would otherwise have with them. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I don't know where to go with that. I just think that's Here's the thing that I want to, wanted to think about in, in terms of parenting is mm-hmm. I think as a, we are all parents and I think it's really easy to be judgmental of other parents' decisions in terms of their parenting and things. Yeah. So here's an example that I, a conversation I had with someone who's one of our viewers. Um, it was a while ago, maybe a year or so ago, about parents who let their children like watch things or play things on tablets when they're at restaurants. So Mm. I automatically, well, no, like my children never have devices with them when we're eating at a restaurant. We're all talking, we're all engaging, uh, even the two-year-old and we're all 
you know, there. And I think for me, I'd find it really easy to look over at another table where they've got a child with headphones on who's playing away and be judgmental of the parenting decisions of the people in that family. And the conversation I had with, with this person was that sometimes as a parent, you just need to put a tablet in front of your child's face because you're at the the end of your tether and that's all you can do. And actually at the moment in time, the best parenting decision is to give them those headphones, shut them up for a bit because you absolutely need that time. It might be that that child has autism and can't deal with the noise of the restaurant. It might be all sorts of yeah. things, but it's really easy to judge and just say, oh, well, they're not teaching them how to have good conversational skills and they're not teaching them to be social. They're not uh, showing them good table manners and good etiquette. They're just allowing themselves to be digitized with a tablet at a table. Um, and I think, I, I don't know, I think I've, I've grown more recently to be less judgmental of other people's parenting decisions, perhaps. I don't know. Yeah, I tend to think I am just taking this over from Jilliver. Do you have anything you want to add to that, Jilliver? Before I uh, my, my own my only thing that I am like that, that I'm kind of I, I I would never confront someone because I don't think it's my place no, no, to no. confront someone. But mm-hmm. I, the only thing that really winds me up every time I see it is parents who smoke around the children. And, and that's that more of something... like a, a health concern, right? Like yeah, if you yeah. see if you see a child in danger or you see like a a real confirmable health concern. Um, that's one of those things though where like children who see their parents smoking are more likely to be smokers because they see it as a normal thing that people do uh, you know my, my mum smoked um, when we were younger I don't smoke because I've always hated it but my sister does because my mum did because her grandma because her mum did you know like and yeah. it's one of those things where it feels like a personal decision for yourself but it it has that power with your children in see that's really that. interesting because my mum smoked and my dad didn't really had the occasional one if he had a pint, but he didn't really smoke. My mum smoked. And I didn't smoke because my mum smoked. I started smoking because I was like into rock music and there was all these people. It was the culture. Rock oh, yeah. musicians who yeah. were smoking. That's but my mum facilitated my smoking because she was she wasn't judgmental of me for smoking because she smoked. Mm. So she allowed me to smoke without much like uh, berating or, or kind of anything against me for it. She yeah. didn't come out and say, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, really, she may she may have had there might be slight conversations, but you know, she used to buy me cigarettes. Yeah, and so I wonder then in that case. I mean, you talk about no judgment on the parents. I think sometimes it is very hard to determine where judgment i'm putting that in quotes for those of you not watching the video where that's appropriate and where it's not appropriate um i think a lot of times when it when it's something like smoking you got to think like what is the parent's actual perception of what they're actually doing with that child right so we might be like oh well smoking is clearly bad for you you shouldn't do it oh but here have some mac and cheese right and somebody else might be like processed food you have no idea what you're doing to your child like oh here but stay out in the sun all day and don't wear sunblock you know or whatever so it's like what is the actual perception of that parent of the health risk and what they're, what they're doing to their child. And it could be that they're actually causing uh, some harm that, that requires maybe a little bit of judgment, like in terms of like abuse or neglect, like, yeah, um, yeah that, that requires a little bit of like intervention or, or should be, be judged a little bit harshly, but. Because obviously in, in the UK, the, like the local council has like social services and like professionals who, do support families who are exhibiting 
sort of behaviors or patterns of behavior or do things which might endanger their children or whatever. Yeah. But obviously at some point people have had to decide, no, this isn't good enough parenting. So this would equate to, right, we need to actually, you know, intervene here. Whereas for some people it's just, well, actually I don't value that in the same way. You know, like it's, right. it's all, I mean, there are, there are, I guess, I don't know if it is subjective. I'm just saying things, but like subjective things, you know, where if someone is actively endangering the life of a child because of doing something, but then there are lots of things which are just so objective. It's it's kind of impossible to nail down in a lot of ways. Like what is the line and where should it be drawn? So I think you got those two switched. So objective is like clearly wrong. And then subjective is, well, according to oh, my opinion, bloody hell. My yeah, I did yeah, get yeah, those yeah. wrong. That's <laughs> no, but that's I okay. But I get what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> I get, I get exactly what you're saying though, is like, I think, and this is just an arbitrary number that I'm throwing out, but I think the vast majority of our, our parenting judgments is really just preferences, right? Oh, it's wrong to do this. It's wrong to do that. You shouldn't parent this way. You shouldn't parent that way. Even in the beginning, we were talking about indoctrination, like, well, that's very subjective, right? Because what if we're all three wrong and there is like this Yahweh God and there really is a hell and we're doing a disservice by, you know, advocating for parents not teaching about hell, right? So I see that as an objective, like um, harmful thing to do to a child because of my belief system. But it's when I really am honest with myself, it's very subjective, right? I think the objective stuff comes down to what you're talking about. Is the child in imminent danger? Are they being fed? I I think what you're saying there is welcome. Is a really good kind of segue into uh, skepticism because at the end of the day, oh yeah, we talk about that, don't we? We do sometimes, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> when it, when it, when what it is this skepticism it, uh, thing you speak of <laughs> when when uh when you're saying don't do that there's ways of doing it mm-hmm. and you can say to your kids don't do that and leave it at that yeah you can say don't do that that's wrong you shouldn't do that and a lot of parents do or you can say to your kids you know you shouldn't do that let's have a conversation about why or, or even better Let's think about why and why do you think it's wrong to do that and get them thinking and introduce questioning into everything. Don't just do that objective. Sorry, Rich, go on. No, I was just going to say, here's an example of of the sort of thing you were talking about there, I think. Um, So alcohol is a, is a, a thing which I think lots of parents have to make decisions about with their children. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, um had a close friend a few years ago and their parents were incredibly anti-alcohol like to the point where um if we're at like an event we would like teenagers uh and I was confronted by their parent to say you must not you know even try to give my child any alcohol because of this this and this uh and like being so incredibly strict whereas like I remember from even being like a preteen, like at, at Christmas we'd have some like Lambrini watered down with lemonade or something and you know would have that or it like my parents were very much like a bit it's fine we're here like nothing you know it's not that big of a deal and they didn't make a big deal out of it right uh, and I have a very positive relationship with alcohol now it's not a major factor in my life and it's never a damaging factor mm-hmm. uh, whereas I know the person who I was referring to before as soon as they turned 18 like really went off the rails like in a big way with alcohol um, and I think it's, it is that whole thing of, oh, what was my point? I, I think you're talking about like when, when you make something taboo and you, you 
fail to expose a child to it or fail to deal with it yeah. appropriately with a child, what they do when they become adults. At least that's what I was kind of getting out of it. Yeah, and I think as uh, yeah, linking to what you were saying, Jennifer, in terms of that, yeah, you can just say don't do this, but actually, if a child doesn't doesn't buy into the rationale that you've got. It's, it's going to have a, an outcome that you're not necessarily prepared for or wanting. Um, and so whenever I, you know, I always, I always think I heard a lot as a child because I said so as a reason for <laughs> what parents made. Yeah. Uh, and I know we're running out of time, you know, we're coming up to the commercial break. Um, but I want to explore that a bit more in terms of like, trying to get buy-in from your children maybe and we can maybe explore that after the commercial break i think that's actually a great yeah let's that's a great segue into the commercial so when we get back we'll we'll discuss um the difference between because i said so and helping a child to explore or to understand the whys like and when is that appropriate okay um I don't have anything up and coming to you guys. We didn't even prepare this. Right. I've, I've, uh, I've, I've not prepared anything for the commercial break because I didn't even know I was going to be here this week. So I didn't yeah. know how my internet <laughs> was going to be. So, but I, I have been doing, uh, I've been doing some stuff with Ethan, Michael, and I've been doing the perspective, which I absolutely love doing the calling shows. The absolute favorite thing, just talking to the people, right? And you don't know what you're going to get. It is uh, one of my goals to get onto a perspective with you because we were supposed to do one together and I had to cancel. And then you can drop out left me. I know. I'm trying to come back. I'm making my comeback. <laughs> yeah. Slow. Uh, I've done. I've, I've done a uh, on profits, which was really good fun. Uh, doing it was my first show with the ACA. Laura, you dropped out of a lot of stuff, and then. You suddenly appeared on the Bloody Good Film Podcast with my good friend Josh. I did. And I actually scheduled that before I started dropping all of my um, commitments. So well, I didn't drop all of them. I had to cancel one because it just conflicted. Um, but the rest, I just I stopped scheduling them for a while. So I started saying no. Um, but his was already pre-booked. Now that my work schedule is a little bit more lax, um, I'm not working full time. I'm only working part time. I'm starting to pick back up again. Um, so hopefully I'll get back into the swing of things. But I was on the nonprofits on the 22nd. So that's good. And then um, I did the ACA fundraiser thing with Michael Ethan on the 14th. So, yeah, getting slowly back into it. And hopefully I'll start picking up steam again and um, have more to talk about during these commercial breaks. And this weekend I'm going camping. So that's what I'm up to. I'll be on the on the top of a cliff on the North Yorkshire coast. So uh, that's good. Uh, and while I'm there, I might even participate in some conversations on our official Facebook discussion group, uh, which if you haven't joined you already, uh, you should. And you can find the link to that and all of our... Uh... Oh, sorry, go on, Jilliver. No, no, go on, carry on. All right, okay, you were just putting it. Uh, shell, heckling. shell, sell, sell. Not shell, I don't know why I said that. It's because you said about the seaside. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you can find that. Uh, and obviously wherever else you can find our, our show on the link tree slash Skeptic Hangout. So I will see you there. Awesome. All right, back to the show. But you know when you walk into a room and everyone suddenly goes silent and they stop talking? This is yes. where I came into the room and people were already <laughs> laughing at me. I know. <laughs> because you were doing exactly what we were talking about. It was just too funny. I want to know what it looks like for people when I come in the room. <laughs> uh, 
Okay, let's wipe those tears away. And continue it. The lights faded. Okay, so before the commercial break, um, we had started talking about um, when it's appropriate or whether it's appropriate to just say um, because I said so to a child and when to kind of break things down and, and answer more of the why questions. Um, and this one, I think, is incredibly subjective. And I've heard the whole gambit of different um, opinions. But one thing that I kind of found fascinating is when people say, look, sometimes I just get tired having to always explain why I want them to clean their room or why I want them to do their homework or whatever. Sometimes I just want them to do it. It's exhausting. Right. And that's, that's kind of where I give a lot of leeway on this one, even though I might have my own different opinion on, on what to do. Um, what do you guys think? Like, do you guys think there's a, there's a really relevant case for the, because I said so. I think in a lot of cases, it, it also depends on the situation in terms of like, you know, like say if I'm crossing the road and I need my child to hold my hand, yeah. right that second, the reason is because I said so, because I need to get that child safely across the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't have time to, in the middle of the road, have a discussion about road safety <laughs> and the ramifications of, you know, and yeah. but uh, there is also that thing, like you said, of, you know, as a, parent and just people generally we we make so many decisions every single day about every tiny little thing um that you know tiredness and fatigue in 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 terms of explaining stuff is is i think really reasonable because we're all just people aren't we um i mean i'd like to think that i if i was in that sort of situation i'd uh, and it was something that was particularly important, I guess, in terms of my children knowing the reasons for my decisions or answers to questions that I would go back and take the time to to go through things. And I, but I, I think I generally pride myself on the fact that that is the sort of parent that I am in terms of, I do want them to understand why I've said things. I do want them to understand that, you know, because if I'm saying no, don't pick, you know, I, I used the example before about dropping litter. You know, if I'm saying don't drop litter on the floor, actually, I want them to care about that. So it's important that I explain yeah. it. It's not just me telling them off and chastising them for doing it. I want them to understand the environmental impact to the impact. You know, I pay council tax that goes towards people whose job it is to sweep the roads because litter is on the roads. You know, like them dropping litter on the road directly impacts how much money I have to spend out of my wage to go towards the local council. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's things like that that they need, you know, for them to have a full understanding of something is leads to a better outcome than me just saying, no, we don't do that. I agree. Yeah. What do you think, Silver? No, I, I agree. I think uh, sometimes it's necessary, especially when danger is involved. Um, you've got to sometimes just say, you know, you know, I've just I've told you. That's why. Just do it. Just do it for crazy. My daughter has a habit like, of my daughter has a habit of when she's crossing roads as well, and she's holding something, dropping it in the middle of the oh. road and stopping to pick it up. Yeah. So in in yeah. those circumstances, yeah, I just, you, you can't be too uh you've got to have some leeway with things, especially when we we're talking about judging other people earlier. You've got mm. to like take into account circumstances and don't just be so judgmental with everybody, you know? I agree. Yeah. And if you overhear a parent say that, like, even if it's something mundane, like, um, 
mom, why do I need to do like, why do I need to go and pick up this thing off the shelf at the store and not my sibling? And she's like, because I told you to, right? Like that might be kind of mundane. You could have said, well, I'm giving each of you a turn or because I want all of you to be responsible. You could sit and give an explanation. But if I were to overhear that, I wouldn't even think twice about judging that parent. You don't know what they've and been through. They might be exhausted. Were, they might've been asked that same question 52 times and already answered it, right? Like, And, and there are ways to answer it as well. So yeah. I would totally look at someone completely different if they said, you know, because I told you to, especially if in, if it would the like a car was coming in, they were in the middle of the road and they'd just fallen <laughs> over and you said, get up. Yeah. It's because I told you. So, in about five seconds, there's a car that's going to approach your body. <laughs> if you don't get up and now, I'm there's the distinct possibility that you will be killed, and I'm pretty sure you don't want that. Th- yeah. That's one. That's one thing. But on the other hand, you know, if you've got a parent where who's like literally screaming at the kids because I fucking told you to do it, that's a completely different kettle of fish. So and that I'd gets look into at a that parent completely differently. But that gets into a whole different topic, which is attitude and and emotions, right? So because I said so is kind of its own flexible, weird little thing where where I think we can all agree that sometimes it is appropriate, but sometimes it's not. Um, But when you start talking about yelling at your kids or raising your voice, like to me, those kinds of angry reactions are own separate ball of wax, right? And I think there's a certain type of anger that when you show your child, it, it is never acceptable. Like, sure, it's, it's okay for children to witness anger and to see what anger looks like. But children also need to understand that that anger is a sign that you are not in control of yourself. So there's no such thing as righteous anger in that case. Like, if you're like, because I fucking told you to, you're overreacting, period. Like, you are wrong. You are, you are doing a, and this is my subjective opinion. You guys can tell me I'm wrong. But um, I don't think there's ever a place that's like, oh, that was entirely appropriate. That was the good, right thing to do. No, you, you are a human and you have a right to to make human mistakes but i'm sorry that was a human mistake that wasn't a good parenting tactic that was a mistake and i think times where i've been angry with my children usually it i guess like if i'm like showing anger towards my children into you know i'm cross with them for doing something it's because i i guess i kind of want them to understand the enormity of a decision they've made or you know like it's to highlight the fact that you know actually what you've done is really really bad and to the point where you've made me feel angry about it but there's a way of showing that anger towards a child that's that can impact it in different ways you know i thinking about like punishments for children in terms of chastising them or whatever you know some people still nowadays do hit their children for various reasons and you hear all the time, don't you? You know, like, oh, well, I was hit as a child and it never... And I you know, turned, I out, turned okay. out all right. But no, yeah. you, you turned out as an adult who thinks it's still okay to hit children for then any did reason. Did you really turn out all right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I would question that. Um, and But that, that, again, goes down to that whole, where do you draw the line? I'm not saying hitting children is right. That's not what I'm saying. But in terms of, like, you know, deciding on appropriate responses to things that your children have done is a is a big part of of parenting and and i guess requires a lot of thought and you kind of hit on the good oh go ahead i I was just gonna something you said struck me as really uh, alien to me then all right okay i don't know that i have ever felt anger towards my children 
All right, okay. I felt oh, frustration. Well, you got oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I right, felt yeah, frustration, yeah, yeah. but I've never I've never felt I mean I don't really feel angry with anybody. <laughs> no. So anger Any, anger but, anger is difficult anger. for me too because a lot of people will label other emotions as anger. And one thing that I learned is that anger isn't an emotion, it's a response, right? So the, the emotion that you're actually feeling is frustration, sadness, yeah. anger, um disappointment. Yeah. Um but it's never like right. can I just reflect then on what I was saying? Because yeah, that's an interesting point actually. Yeah, because I think if the the sort of situations that I was thinking about, yeah, frustration might have been a better choice of word. Um, you know, I've been upset by things my children have done. You know, they may have done something incredibly, I don't know, selfish or, you know, made a bad choice in that way. Um, yeah, I think it was possible me, I don't know, me speaking, but yeah, I think that's a, a valid question to ask. See, to me, to well, me, anger, anger seems like a complete loss of control, and it's that kind of yeah. That that's yeah. what anger says to me. And it is justifiable in a sense that we're all human, and we we have our limits. And when our limits have been crossed, there is a point where like we react without necessarily thinking. So anger, in and of itself, is not bad. Um, what you do with anger, depending on how much control over you have over yourself, may or may not be bad. Um, certainly like striking a child, in my opinion, like you've lost your control to the point where it is bad, right? Yeah. Um, popping off at a I child. Think what I like, meant by angle was just, you know, when I'm having those conversations with my children where I am cross. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, and I don't think a, that's yeah. bad. I yeah, think yeah, yeah. I think being able to also tell your children later or in another context, like when someone shows anger, it it means that they've reached a threshold. And when you reach mom and dad's threshold, um, you're gonna see us as being angry. That doesn't mean that we it's an, it's an imperfection it's something that we need to work on but you need to also understand that as a child you've crossed that line mm-hmm. with us where we don't have the tolerance anymore to speak kindly to you right so maybe me yelling at you wasn't the right thing to do in that moment but boy in that moment you had me hot like you had pushed all my buttons right <laughs> so there's that kind of give and take where it's like yeah mommy and daddy aren't perfect but yeah neither are you you little bugger right <laughs> like you really worked hard to get me to that point, FYI, you know? Well, I think as well, like, there, there have been times where I've had to, after the fact, apologize yeah. to my children for decisions I've made or things I've done or said. Um, and I know I've found that difficult in those situations because it you kind of, as a parent, I guess, by default, sometimes have that, well, I'm the parent, so I know what's, what's best or whatever. I know, you know, what... Um, like I'm, I'm always right because usually I am right in in decisions I make. I am normally right because I know things about the world. I know things about, mm-hmm. you know, what are morally good and bad things to do. And usually when I'm saying things to my children, I am right. Um, and in life in general, just generally, just always, um, yeah. Always. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I, I don't know how how often parents generally apologize to their children for things that they have done parents often expect apologies from children and you know that's whole thing but yeah i don't know about how often parents apologize to their own children for things they've done themselves i think i I apologize when i've apologized to my kids it's usually been i mean it's not happened lately because i don't tend to do this because i don't i physically can't do it anymore because of the different ravaging covid gave me but I I used to like tussle, shall we say, with my kids. I wanted to teach them how to fight. I'm an ex fighter myself, and I want to. I want them to. I want them to know that fighting doesn't have to be the same thing as violence. Right. Mm. The yeah. knowing the art, how to art fight. To it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Absolutely. it's not. 
it's not anger, it's not violence. It, it, it's something that you can be practiced and done skillfully. Sometimes I've just, I've gone, you know, I'm, uh, well, I was uh, when I was training, a big guy. And, you know, I was tussling with little kids. So inevitably you're going to accidentally hurt them. And, and you in, apologize. I don't mean yeah. break their arm. I mean, no, <laughs> like you just squish them a little bit out, or elbow them. You know, yeah. And, yeah. And, 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 you know, and in those circumstances, I have apologized to them. Usually when it's getting the kids to apologize, it's getting to, to apologize to each other rather than to me. I don't yeah. think I've ever said, right, you owe me an apology. So I kind of want to stick t- on this. Oh, go ahead. I, I've, I, it's like if one of them, usually my daughter, who's made, been made to apologize to my son because she's a little shit and he's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that the apologies are something we should stay on for a little bit longer because I think that there is, there's a lot to be said in terms of parents apologizing, but also with kids apologizing. Like I have never told my kids that it's a requirement to say, I'm sorry. Like, when they do in order to get out of trouble, like when they're like, oh, I'm sorry, just so that they can get out of trouble. It's like, no, sorry is not something. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's something you feel. So when you tell somebody I'm sorry, the information that you're conveying to them is I did something wrong. I acknowledge it or I caused you a pain, whether it was on purpose or on accident. I acknowledge it and I feel bad about it. It's not, oh, because I said, I'm sorry, everything's better. Or, oh, because I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't get in trouble. Or um, you should feel not angry toward me because I said, I'm sorry. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Arm and say sorry. It doesn't mean that I'm then right. I can then just carry on smacking you in the arm. Like exactly. Saying sorry yeah. doesn't actually. If 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 the act of apologising doesn't then isn't then preceded by no, that's the opposite. Isn't then followed by a change in behaviour. <laughs> yes. Then it yeah, it's meaningless, isn't it? And and it's just a. a that, that is key. And I would say that is key Lines, not just yeah. for like parenting and children, but that's key for like relationships in general is yeah. like, I, I put very, very, very little stock in the words. I'm sorry. Like they just don't mean a lot to me. I appreciate them. And I love that they convey information to me like, oh, I feel bad about what I did or I'm feeling guilty right now. Like that's good information. But if it's not followed up with a change in behavior or if it's not it followed be a platitude, up, can't it? It, yeah, it becomes something. In fact, that's something that has been a conversation in our house before um, where we have had that conversation of, look, when you just say, I'm sorry, every single time that those words have zero meaning to me, like they might have a little bit of meaning if that means, oh, you feel bad about something, but they lose all meaning whatsoever when you're just popping them off just to, oh, the appropriate response right now is I'm sorry. So I'm just going to say I'm sorry with no thought or meaning. Um, or feelings behind it whatsoever. So yeah, we've definitely had that conversation. Um, so I don't force my kids to apologize to each other, but I will force them to acknowledge that they've done a wrong to each other, right? And I'm like, if you're sorry, you need to go tell your sister. But you're still That's getting punished. That's interesting. I like that. I like that yeah. subtlety and difference. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, often so- ask the question, like, you know, in uh, and I don't know if this is my like school teacher brain coming in, but you know, like the question of like what can you do to make things better saying i'm sorry isn't enough but like (laughs) but yeah like you've done something wrong what is it that you can do to make and sometimes Mm -hmm. you know hug and kiss your two-year-old brother that will make things better because then he will just carry on playing and we're all happy days but then other times it you know you do need to the thing to do to make something better is actually i need to have a certain think about how i approach that situation or i need to say sorry because that might be what's needed you know whatever the cost of action is yeah yeah no I think yeah I I think that we're all in agreement like and I don't know if there's um like a skeptical way of looking at this whole I'm sorry thing but I think that 
it has a time and a place, but it's not, it's not a get out of jail free card, but yeah. there has to be more to it than that. Um, I'm sorry in terms of a parent saying it to a child. Okay. So I'm very big on owning up to your mistakes. I'm very big on letting your kids see that you're human, that you're flawed, but also having trust in you. So they, when I say like, Hey, drinking can be very damaging, right? They're not going to um, believe that because I'm flawless and they've come to believe that, that my word is law. They might believe it because they know that I'm intelligent and that they've seen that when I explain Another things to them, sorry. I'm, I'm a bold not, claim. <laughs> it is a bold claim. <laughs> I'm not unintelligent. <laughs> no, they, they, they have faith that what I'm saying is backed up. Right. Um, but it's not because of the whole, I, I present myself as flawless. I think actually that it, it's even more helpful when a parent can present themselves as flawed. <laughs> so what do you guys think? I have heard parents say like dead serious and they'll argue it. You should never apologize to your child. Like that's an inappropriate parent tactic. So what do you guys think about that? I think that's bullshit. Yeah. Um, I think, I think if you, if you, if you're aware that you've, uh, for whatever reason, uh, done something that's either emotionally or physically harmed your child, that you just own up to it and say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. That's, you know, I didn't mean to do that. If you didn't mean to do it, <laughs> it may have meant to do it. I don't know why you would, but <laughs> if you, you know, if you have, if you have upset them by shouting at them, you know, I'm, I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry for upsetting you, but let's have a conversation. This is why I had to have a conversation. I had talked to you in that way. Why I had yeah. to reprimand you. You know, you may be putting yourself in danger or someone else in danger, or, you know, it's not right to damage property or it's not right to take things that aren't yours. You know, that's why yeah. I shouted at you and why I, you know, I had to have to speak to you in that manner. But that's why I did it. Part yeah. of the thing as well in terms of owning up to mistakes and apologising is the fact that it, it's also an opportunity to model to your own children that making mistakes is part of growing and improving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, if you do present yourself as a infallible godlike being... Uh, which all of us are, are approaching that level. But, uh, <laughs> just just mean, to interrupt you there, I, I, um, I've got my son and my wife here saying I've, I did it. And the kids know I'm messing about. They don't actually think this is serious. But I, I've, I, I tried to go through a stage of every time I walk into the house, getting the whole family to refer to me as your celestial majesty when I walked <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend that did the same thing, only it was a grand potentate. I was like, I don't even know what that is. I was like, I don't know what a potentate is. I'll have to go look that up. But yeah, I think that's hilarious. <laughs> Especially when it's done in jest like that, where it's clearly just fun. Like the, Sorry, you should get the, like, the Von Trapps like, lined up to a whistle. <laughs> yeah. So I want to I wanna play, uh, going back to this whole like when to say I'm sorry thing, I want to play the devil's advocate a tiny bit longer. So they would say, don't ever apologize to your children. But then they would follow it up with, no, no, no. What will happen is if you made a mistake and like say, say you, you punish them and it wasn't really justified or you punish them too harshly, you're like, ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, been that harsh. They they say, well, just change your behavior and just don't do it again. And your your kids will see like through your modeling um, what's good and bad behavior, right? But will they and associate that to me is, it? Yeah, that to me is incredibly problematic. But I want to I want to kind of push forward with that that sort of devil's advocate. Um, yeah, so. I, I I don't see that the children would associate that. I don't know if I'd associate it if someone had if someone had done something to me and then a few weeks later model different behavior 
they just did. I don't know if I would make the connection. Yeah, between... so let's put that into an adult yeah. adult scenario, right? Like, say somebody lied to you, and you caught them in a lie, but then they're like, "Okay, well, I'm not going to apologize for the lie, but I'm going to get them to trust me by modeling telling the truth." Right? So, how long? I don't think I ever would, but like, how long would it take me to regain someone's trust? Like, not regain someone's trust, regain trust in someone. Yeah. Um. To me, in other words, to me, if they if they if they told a lie and I didn't trust them, and then they didn't apologize, they didn't address it, they didn't do anything about it, but then they're like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be honest from now on, and they're just gonna get it, right? I would question every honest statement they made. Like, is that the one that's a lie to? Oh, is that a lie to? Yeah. Oh, okay, I verify that's from the truth. That's cool. That's the truth. Okay, well, they can tell a hundred truths, but how many lies can they tell in addition to those hundred truths? Right? Yeah. It would have to. There would have to be some sort of additional conversation or additional reassurances given to me. Not that I would never, ever trust someone because they lied to me once, but just you kind of need more than that than then just the modeling good behavior and having that naturally work itself out. I'm going to say something and then hopefully come back around to what you said, but I might get lost along the way. Okay. Um, something that I think is, is related to that is in terms of like consequences for behavior, because obviously we, we, we give consequences to children a lot of the time because we're wanting them to hang on, let me think about what I'm actually saying. So let's say for example, if my son, um, I don't know, deliberately destroyed something in the house or damaged something in the house, I might choose to have a consequence for that, be it positive or negative in terms of it might be doing something to make amends, or it might just be a, because of that, you've lost a privilege in this way or whatever. And parents can make lots of different decisions in, in terms of what that would be. Yeah. But often you hear parents, you know, you'd be out in the supermarket and they're like, if you touch one more thing, we are not going on holiday next week. And you know, <laughs> you absolutely know that they are still mean. going on holiday next week. Yeah. And, and it's not a feasible sort of, you know, thing that they're going to carry through with. Because yeah. then the child touches another thing and they'll say it again. or they'll <laughs> But say they'll say, what did I just tell you? I just told you. <laughs> and yeah. then they'll say it again. <laughs> last chance this time this is the one I promise this is going on holiday but yeah. so like and I, I feel like and I, and I know from watching super nanny in the past that she always talks about um you know making sure that the the consequences that you're giving your children for an action that they do is sort of reasonable enforceable and whatever else yeah. and I, I feel like because I've said things rashly in the past you know like right, that's it, you're never going there again, or, you know, you know. And in the heat of the moment, yeah. overreact and over sort of consequence something. Yeah. And I, th- yeah, so this is how it links back to what you were saying in terms of, like, a parent saying, I would never apologise, I would never show that I've made that wrong decision or whatever. Might be to some parents, if you say, actually, I said this before, but I've reflected on it, and I think, actually, this would be a better course of action or this would be more reasonable, it kind of yeah. says to the child actually you don't have to listen to what I say because I'm changing the goalposts all the time or you know, yeah, you don't have to take me seriously because you never know. Yeah. And some parents might see that as I'm reducing my level of authority with these children because I'm backtracking or I'm sort of going back on what I said or whatever. Uh, whereas I would see that, I know you were playing devil's advocate when you were, you were making that point, but like yeah. I would see that in the opposite way in terms of it, it is a really valuable learning opportunity for children because like you said they can see that we're not infallible uh but also it it, it helps them to understand how you make decisions you know if if, if mm-hmm. i said to my son that it was grounded for a week and he had to 
stay in his room. I mean, firstly, he'd love that because there's a bed in there. <laughs> but like, there's, there's technology um, in there. My parents used to ground me out of the house. So they'd say, right, you're grounded for a week. Go play on the park. You're not allowed to stay inside. <laughs> um, but yeah, if, if I said that and then I was like reflecting on it and was like, actually, that wasn't reasonable. It's an opportunity for me to have that conversation with my son and talk about the implications of what had been, you know, gone down and what, it, and I think that's more valuable parenting rather than just maintaining this strict authority that, you know, children must follow. Um, so, yeah, I think that's I really interesting. That's like a fine line to walk. I guess that would depend on the situation and the parent and the child. So th- there's the, the one side where it's like, that would diminish my authority. Well, that might, if you're wishy-washy all the time and you're constantly changing what it is you have to say, like that would certainly diminish your authority. Um, yeah. Or if you're, but then again, so would, if you touch that one more time, we're not going on vacation next week, right? And you say it two or three times, that in the moment reduces your authority. But now you say, okay, you you made that um, stipulation and you threaten the child with it. You're like, all right, we're not going on, on holiday. And then you go on holiday. That reduces your authority with a child. Whereas coming back to that child and saying, what you did at the store was wrong. And I was getting frustrated with you and I was angry and I popped off the first thing that came to my mind and that was holiday. Obviously we're not canceling holiday but you did something wrong. So your consequence is going to be whatever extra chores or no screen time or um, video games or whatever, whatever really like whatever um, currency you have with that particular child using that currency instead to have a, a, a consequence. And that child's like, damn it. Right. Mom at least held steadfast that what I did was wrong. And they're going to learn that what they did was wrong. Right. So I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with you that the argument that that reduces your authority, I would flip that argument around. Because us being an authority figure as parents is only like part of what we do. We need to be an authority figure in terms of to keep our children safe and to make sure that they make good decisions and stuff. But then a lot of it is just, like I say, guiding them to grow as people. Um, and you don't always require authority for that, that purpose. So that brings up an interesting question. And Jilliver, I know you've been quiet, so I'm going to let you have, because I've just been like, oh, jumping in. I'm so freaking excited about it. But um, when you when you talk in terms of um, of authority, oh my God, I do this every time. But what makes me lose it is when I interject something like that, like, oh, Jilliver, I'll let you talk. Then I lose what I'm, what I'm trying to say. Um, I was talking about how being an authority was only part of what you are as a parent. Yes, okay. So... Um, now it's gone. Talk on guys. I had it. I had it, but I, I lost it. So just keep talking. And if it comes back, I'll jump. Did back. you have thoughts, Jilliver? Um, not, not so much on that. I kind of, I'm kind of on the same page as Laura with that is that it's, it's a fine line to tread. Mm. Um, I think I'm trying to think back. I've been doing this. This is why I've been quiet because I've been trying to think back to the difference between how I was brought up and how I bring my children up. And (laughs) to be honest, I'm having difficulty remembering how I was brought up because it was such a fucking long time ago. But But as well, uh, it's different though because when you're a child being brought up, you don't realise you're being brought up. You're just living your life. You're experiencing life, yeah. Yeah. I do remember having a conversation with my mum where, and I don't know how how old I was. I was in my teens, but I don't know which spectrum of teens I was in. Uh, And I remember saying to her, I think you should have reprimanded us more. Because 
we went a little bit wayward. But I, I, yeah. I don't really, I don't, I don't think I was brought up badly. I think I was brought up quite well. Um, you know, certainly me and uh, my brothers, although one still lives at home with my mum, and my dad's passed away now, but one still lives at home with my mum because he's got learning difficulties and he can't, uh, he, can't he can't live on his own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he needs care. But my, my older brother and myself turn out all right. We're not perfect. You know, we've made Even if you've had that conversation okay. thinking you should have reprimanded us more, sounds like a very positive result of whatever happened and went on. Do you know what I mean? Like, Laurie, you had a look on your face yeah. that you remember what I, you were going to do. I did, and the reprimanding is what, what reminded me. So we, we... Yay, me. We put, yeah, so we put consequences <laughs> on children. Oftentimes, the consequence is something that, that is unrelated to the event, right? So mm. you lied to me, so you lose dessert tonight, right? You didn't get your homework done, so you don't get screen time or, or video games. Um, you threw a rock at your sister, so you're on restriction for a week, right? The consequences really have absolutely nothing to do with the, the event, like whatever it is that, that happened or whatever they did wrong. So my, my thought is, and it's something I'm just sort of like bubbling around in my head is how often do we teach kids that the consequence of me lying is I will lose screens for a week versus the consequence of me lying is that I will break people's trust and that they won't believe me anymore. And that my mom and dad won't know when I'm telling the truth and when I'm lying. So my, my whole thing is like, when we associate these other consequences, how often do the kids miss the point of what they did wrong. Why is it actually wrong? That's a parallel to like religious morality. You know, like people who make moral decisions because they want to get into heaven and not go to hell. It's the right. same thing, isn't it? Like, are right. they just not throwing a rock at their sister because mom's going <laughs> to, you know, take, take the iPad off us or whatever, as opposed exactly. to they're learning to not throw the rock at the sister because it's going to hurt someone else, damage something. You know, it's, um, but everything's, I think all of these sorts of things, because it's so, all of these things happen so often in a house, like all these tiny little things, it's really hard to be that all the time, isn't it? Like you, it, yeah. you sometimes you just need to be like, this is bad. So this is happening. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Like I'll give you an example. Yeah. Like we have our little checklist of things that kids have to get done during the day. Right. And you don't get your checklist done. You don't get anything involving a screen, no video games, no YouTube, no, no movies, right? That stuff in order to earn that stuff, you have to do this checklist, right? Well, that all the stuff they have to do, there's a reason that they have to do it, right? You have to do math so that you know how to add numbers and, and you know, like go into adulthood, being able to do a freaking budget, right? Um, you have to read because you need to read, right? There's, there's additional reasons why you have to do each thing on your checklist <coughs> that have nothing to do with video games or screens. And yet I'm teaching them, do your checklist so that you can have your reward, right? But then as well, like in making that decision, you're also teaching them that screens are like the ultimate good and that that's the reward that they should be aiming for. Right. I was brought up where, where I, it was always like sweet, edible food mm-hmm. was like the reward. Um, but then that for me has been a negative because I'm an obese adult who really likes sweet foods because I was always brought the up with center. them being like the ultimate good and the best reward for something. And that's potentially given me then an unhealthy sort of relationship with food because I tend to value it or have valued it subconsciously, I guess, more than maybe other things. 
Um, and so then I always think about like rewards and stuff like that, you know, whether it is edible or digital or whatever, you know, not only does the consequence have to fit with whatever it is, but then also rewards for things always kind of need to align with what we want to value and promote. Yeah, well. or does there need to be a reward? That wasn't at all? a criticism of your yeah. decision. No, by you're the way. right. Not, I actually, yeah. I really love that because I'm reflecting <laughs> on it and I'm, I'm actually thinking about it. So, right here on the spot, you've actually given me something to reflect on and think about. Like, I say that because there was like, when can I watch TV? When can I do this? When can I do that? When can I play yeah. video games? Well, you can play video games when your responsibilities are done, right? Yeah, yeah. But there's, you're right. There's that trap that you can fall into where you're creating an arbitrary positive reinforcement where maybe there doesn't need to be like maybe you just need to do your stuff because you just need to do your stuff and we'll talk individually about why each thing is important um but there's no reward associated with it you just have to do it like that's nothing between extrinsic and intrinsic rewards for things and obviously i'm a primary school teacher and there's that that whole thing in in teaching in terms of like do you actively reward children for doing good things or is the reward just them having done a good thing um and it's yeah i guess it's an ongoing debate yeah i think there's there's probably pros and cons depending on how often that reward is used right mm-hmm. the joy of the joy of, i think of this conversation has been i think that we've all kind of like had pause for thought just just talking just having a conversation yeah. <laughs> we're not not necessarily disagreeing or arguing with each other but we've 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 all at some point had pause to thought and thought you know that's that's interesting. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. And I that's, like that. That's really yeah. good because it's almost like, so we're taking a skeptical look at all these different topics and like, what do we think and what were our questions and how would we approach it? And it's really neat to be able to take a skeptical approach to your own parenting approaches, right? Like, is the way that I'm doing it the best or a good way or or whatever? So yeah. Right, so right. A lot of the it's things that we've cool. spoken about, I don't even know if I've necessarily thought about until I was required to speak about it now. Do you know what I mean? In terms of right. like my prioritizing or whatever. Um, one thing I know we're very, very short on time now, but one thing that I was wanting to think about was in terms of the promotion of skepticism as a parent, like how should we bring up children to be skeptics? And if we were to choose that, how would be best to do that? But I know we're very short on time. Yes. Yeah, I think. And yes. <laughs> <laughs> that should be taught in schools. Welcome to the <laughs> section of the show where Jill shows us that he owns books. Yes. <laughs> books that he says he's read. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that, that, yeah, I think that as with every single episode, there's so much more to expand on it. So I think one thing that we probably should do is, is as our, our list kind of gets, it's getting longer, but as time goes by and we start checking off more and more and more of those shows, is being able to go back and look at these topics that we've already discussed and say, how can we discuss them again? And how can we discuss them further? And I don't think it means like taking this list and then repeating this list, but it's like, Hey, we've gotten a few topics down. We have a few left, but let's go back and revisit this one, or let's throw in another episode of that one. Um, so that we're kind of revisiting some of these topics and keeping them rolling because I think well, let's right. mix them up a bit and have parenting of aliens. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Parenting and ghosts and ghosts. <laughs> but you're right. We are very, very short on time. We're about to get cut off. So um, I just want to take some time to thank everybody that's been listening. Um, I know I do every show, but I mean, we wouldn't have a podcast if we didn't have listeners. So I guess that the success of this show is entirely on you guys who are listening to us and giving us feedback. And the more you interact with us and give us ideas, the more successful um, we can be in producing quality content that somebody out there gives a shit about. So 
Thank you guys for listening and thank you for your It still feedback. baffles me that people do give shits about this show. But I love it. Brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it I baffles mean, me that there are people who actually listen to every episode. No, it shouldn't baffle you because we're talking about something that, that means something to us. Why is it even surprising that it might mean something to somebody else as well? Um, I think it makes it because makes we're three sense. douches also... on the internet. <laughs> hey, hey, you can call yourself a douche, but I don't ever, ever want to hear you call Gil a douche. <laughs> anyway, we got it. We got to get going. So everybody have a great rest of your week. We will catch you next time. And uh, yeah, in the meantime, we are Laura, Richard, and Richard. And this has been Skeptic Hangout. Until next time, stay curious, interrogate your beliefs. Stay skeptical. Bye. Bye. Bye.